Back in 2015, uh, some of you guys remember this movie. Some of you guys, if you're parents, you probably watched this movie many, many times since then. But back in 2015, Disney Pixar released a movie called Inside Out. Anybody remember this movie? Excellent movie. It's a story of an 11-year-old girl named Riley who... She's going through all sorts of life changes. Her family moved across the country. Um, She's trying to figure out who she is, how to handle stress and disappointment and all sorts of things like that. But the story is told from a unique, unique perspective. If you've never seen the movie Inside Out, the story is told from the inside of her brain. And so if you have seen the movie, you know that inside her brain, you can see her emotions that are actual cartoon characters like this that operate, you know, the control center of her brain. And you have joy, anger, fear, disgust, and sadness. And the emotions at different times will take control of uh, of her brain and her mind, and you'll see how that plays out in her life. And therapists and parents have found this movie to be incredibly helpful in helping children name their emotions. Uh, Often my own children, uh, they'll be in a very sensitive mood, they'll be withdrawing, they'll be fighting with their siblings, they'll be overly sensitive, maybe they'll be defiant. Uh, You know, we all have our fight, flight, or freeze sort of defense mechanisms, and often I'll find my kids in one of those, you know, postures, and it can be helpful at times to ask, Who has control of the wheel of your mind right now, buddy, sweetheart, you know, to your kids? And if they've seen this movie, you can say, does anger have the wheel right now? What about sadness or fear or disgust or joy? How are you feeling? And a movie like this helps our kids name their emotions. And once they can name their emotions, then you can get to the root of them and begin to deal with what's going on in their little hearts and in their minds. But it's not just children. If you want to be an emotionally healthy adult... You must be able to know how to name what you're feeling. You have to be able to name your emotions or else you'll find yourself, uh, we call it waking up on the wrong side of the bed. You know, days where you just wake up and you're grumpy, you're irritable, you're easily offended, you're sensitive, and you're like, I don't even know why. But then later on at the end of the day, you're like, oh yeah, this happened and that happened and and I've I've been sad all day and it's made me kind of irritable. See, we, we have to know how to name what we feel because it explains why we behave the way we do and why we act the way we do. And just like Inside Out is a great movie and an incredible resource in helping us name our emotions, the book of Psalms is a collection of ancient songs and poems that help us to name our emotions, but they also teach us how to pray our emotions and to entrust uh, how we feel to God. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at various emotions that we feel um, and asking ourselves, what do I do with these emotions? What do I do with fear? What do I do with my anger? What do I do with my loneliness? What do I do when I feel betrayed? What do I do when I'm glad? And we're in a series, it's called How to Deal with How You Feel. Okay, I'm trying to be more creative these days. Isn't that pretty good, right? Um, How do I submit my feelings to God so that he can form me into the person that he has called me to be. When I feel a certain way, what do I do with these feelings? What does God want me to do with them? How do I pray them? How do I entrust them to him? And this week we're beginning with the emotion of anger, you know? And anger can take many forms. You know, often we think of anger as just blind rage, you know? But anger can take multiple forms. And you may sit here and you say, well, I'm not an angry person. 
I don't ever get loud. I don't ever yell. I don't ever scream. But um, there are many forms that anger takes, some that can be very passive, some that can be very quiet. Grumbling, complaining is a form of anger. Always got something bad to say about everything. You got to find the fault in everything. That's a form of anger. Uh, Suppression is a form of anger. It's when we mislabel our anger as something else as a way to not admit that we're actually angry. I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm just stressed. I'm just frustrated. I'm not angry, though. Is that right? You know? um, another way we exp- anger expresses itself in active aggression or rage. It's when we lash out at people. There's passive aggression. This is when we punish people that we're angry with through covert operations, right? We try, to more, we try to be sly about it. We try to get our point across without actually being vulnerable. You know, one of the ways that this is often done is, uh, I don't know if people still say this, but you know what people used to say, with all due respect, as if you can say, with all due respect, and then anything that follows after that, you get a pass on. You know, now often what you see is people will say some passive aggressive thing in a text message and then they'll do semicolon parentheses, you know, wink, smile. And you're like, that does, what you just did was passive, that's passive aggressiveness. Another form of anger is distancing. We distance ourselves from other people. Um, control is a form of anger, trying to grab control of everything. Um, violence, of course, is a form of anger. Blame shifting is a form of anger. This is when we struggle with anger and we think that the reason we're angry is because of everybody else around us. It's their problem that we keep getting angry. Why do you make me talk to you like this? If you've ever heard anybody say something like that. That's blame shifting. They're trying to gaslight you into thinking that you're the reason they're angry when the reality is, is the reason they're angry is because they're angry. Another form of anger is cynicism and sarcasm. Now, in my generation, we grew up on sarcasm, and we like to think that it's like this funny thing, but it's a form of anger. It's a form of cynicism. Um, Depression and shame are forms of anger. It's anger turned inward. It's when we're angry with ourselves and at who we are and what we've done. In our psalm today that we're studying, in this series that we're going to be studying is going to be studying various psalms throughout the book of Psalms. Our psalm today is Psalm 109. And in Psalm 109, we see a very angry King David. David is just, he's angry. And he's angry at someone who has wronged him in some way. And we're not even told exact, verse 16 kind of tells us that there was some injustice going on, but we don't know exactly why David is angry. We just know that David is angry at someone. And you're not going to believe the things that David prays to God about this person that he's angry with. Listen to this. He says, be not silent, O God of my praise. This is David praying to God his frustration with another human being. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. So David says he's got some enemies that they, they don't like him and they're, uh, they're, they're coming after him. So listen to what David says. God, appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. 
May his children wander about and beg, seeking food from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may be cut off from the memory uh, cut off the memory of them from the earth. Okay. David is taking his prayers to the next level, okay? David is angry at this particular person, this particular enemy of his, and this is what David prays. God make him unemployed. God make an orphan out of his children. Make his wife a widow. Kill him, God. Let the creditor, after he has, you've killed him, now let the creditors take everything from his family. Let his children beg like street urchins. And while you're at it, God, why don't you take down his elderly mom too? And you're like, what? What's that doing in the Bible? Like King David, a man after God's own heart, you say. He's angry. And you're like, am I, am I supposed to pray this? Uh, am I allowed to pray prayers like this? But as we look at this text, I want it to, at first, we're going to talk a little bit about it, but at first I just want it to comfort you that even King David got angry. Uh, Anger is a human emotion that we all feel at times. So do you struggle with anger? The scriptures show that you're not alone. But if you want to control your anger, you must first understand it. And so we have to understand anger. And what I want you to see is that anger is a form of love. It's interesting If you do a survey of all that the Bible says about anger, you actually see that God often speaks highly of anger, as if it's a virtue. Jesus was often angry. Uh, He was angry at death when his friend Lazarus died. He was angry at religious hypocrisy and those that took advantage of the poor. This is why he rolled into the temple and started flipping tables and cracking whips like Indiana Jones. In Mark chapter 3, it says, verse 5, it says, And Jesus looked around at them with anger because he was grieved at their hardness of heart. Anger is even presented as a characteristic of the heart of God. I am the Lord your God, Exodus 34, 6 says, slow to anger. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is gracious and slow to anger. But then on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something along the lines of, if you even look at your brother with anger, you're guilty of murder in your heart. And you're like, so Jesus is taking a hard stance against anger, but he also got angry. Uh, so what is it? Is anger a virtue or is it a sin? And what you find throughout the Bible is that the Bible is not anti-anger. But you also don't find the Bible endorsing unrestrained or misdirected anger. Ephesians 4.26 actually helps us understand anger from a biblical perspective. It says, be angry, but do not sin. See, there is such a thing as righteous anger. There is such a thing as good anger and God-honoring anger. Um, And there is also such a thing as sinful anger, unrighteous anger. And maybe that confuses you. But think, in in order for love to exist in a fallen world... Anger must also exist. You cannot have love without also having anger. Um, I get angry when my children's health is threatened, right? If my daughter comes home from school crying because somebody bullied her, am I glad about it? 
No, I'm furious about it. I'm angry about it. When my son, who has cerebral palsy, when he's left out of playtime because of his special needs, because other kids don't know how to interact with him, my heart breaks and I get angry. I get angry because I love my children. When cancer starts attacking the body of someone whom you love, you get angry. Angry that there's cancer in this world. When you see injustice in our city or in the world, you should get angry. I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes through my heart when I see on the news another school shooting is fury, rage. I get angry. And there are things that, it's, it, that it is good to be angry about. Matthew Henry says, if we are to be angry and not sin, we must be angry at nothing but sin. And so when God looks at us, um, God sees the cancer of our sin in our own lives. And he sees the sin and the evil of others all around us destroying our lives, destroying the good world that he created. And when he sees this, he gets angry. When you get exploited or when you get taken advantage of or when you are abused in any way, God joins you in your anger because he is anger, angry against anything that goes against his will. Um, he gets angry because he loves us. When he sees us doing things that are harmful to us, he gets angry at the sin that is destroying us because he loves us. You see, anger is not always a bad thing because anger is rooted in love. You get angry because something you love is being threatened. But more often than not, the sinful anger that many of us experience is, is not good anger. It's because our loves are distorted. We're loving the wrong things. And then when, we, when that happens, our anger becomes sinful and it begins to hurt us and it begins to hurt those around us. So why do we get angry, sinfully angry? It's because our loves are distorted. When something we love or desire is threatened, we get angry. That's where anger comes from. When my kids get threatened, I get angry because I love my kids. But what this means is that when we get angry, anger is just the tip of the iceberg. There is a glacier of other things always beneath the surface. And what's beneath the surface of our anger is the real issue. So whenever you get angry, ask yourself, what am I trying to defend? What are you trying to defend? And you will have the answer to what your heart truly loves in that moment. Often, what we find is we get angry over trivial things, which means we love trivial things. Or we get anger, angry over our own reputations, over our own respect being threatened because we are self-centered. And we love ourselves more than we love God, or we love ourselves more than we love the well-being of others. And when you start to look below the surface of a lot of your anger, you will find what you love most deeply. The things you love, what you love most deeply is the thing you defend most fiercely. It might be love of self, it might be love of comfort, it might be love of security, it might be love of control. When those things are threatened, you can become enraged and you can act out. Uh, Brad Hambrick, who is a uh, friend of mine, but also he's a, a counselor, he's been a counselor for many, many years, he says that when conflict arises, we have a tendency to see and hear first that which we fear the most. And the example he uses is that if you're ever walking out in nature, you're on a trail, and it's a little, it's like early in the morning or late in the evening, sun's going down, and you see a bit, something big, long, and black in the middle of the trail. <laughs> he said, it is a snake until it proves otherwise. It might be a stick, it might be a log. 
He said, but in your mind, it is a snake until you pr- it proves itself otherwise because you, you tend to see what you fear the most. And if you love your reputation, you will hear what you fear. And so when somebody questions you or challenges you, what you hear is, my reputation is being challenged. I have to go into defense mode. And you get angry. Or maybe you're on the R train and it gets delayed again. And what you feel is, oh gosh, I'm late. I'm embarrassed. This is bad. And so you feel embarrassed and and you begin to get angry because you're embarrassed of how your reputation looks. See, when we have these feelings, these fears, these threats, we begin to act in certain ways and that's what anger is. There's always something beneath our anger. So just a personal example, um, I was running at Fort Hamilton track the other day and I was trying to do my workout and of course there was a guy who parked his bike in the middle of the track. He was blocking two lanes, the lanes one and two, which by the way, um, if you ever go to a track, lane one is for people who are running. Don't walk in lane one, okay? And definitely don't park your bike in lane one. Well, this guy had his bike parked in lane one and two and I so I politely walked up to him and I said, hey, excuse me, man, do you mind moving your bike into the infield? I'm out here doing a workout. Is it okay if you would move your bike just a couple of feet? And what do you think he did? He flew off into a completely unsubstantiated rage and he gets in my face. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who do you think you are? And I was like, I'm going to back off. Okay. Because clearly there was something deeper in this man's anger than me asking him to move his bike three feet. And it would be foolish for me to press that because I'm not going to press my luck and find out what is going on in his life because I don't want to know. I'll just run around the bike, right? Something was going on deep in his soul and somebody asking him politely to move his bicycle was enough to set him off means that there is something much, much deeper going on in his soul. He wasn't mad about me asking him to move his bike. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not getting in the middle of this. I'll run in lane three. This is how it's going. But this is how it often is with us, right? When we blow up at a friend or at a spouse, at a coworker or at one of our children, we have to stop and ask, where is that coming from? Because I promise you, you didn't yell at your child because they didn't clean their room. You yelled at your child because there's something else going deeper in beneath the surface that's causing you to act out in anger like that. David Pallison, another counselor, gives us seven questions to assess our anger to determine whether it's righteous or sinful anger. He says, do you get angry about the right things? Do you express your anger in the right way? How long does your anger last? How controlled is your anger? What motivates your anger? Is your anger primed and ready to respond to others? And what is the effect of your anger? The question you must wrestle with in your anger is why? Why am I so angry? Because that will reveal that beneath your anger there is something that you love that is being threatened. And if if your loves are distorted... If what you love most is your reputation or your comfort or your children to be quiet, when those things get threatened, you can become enraged. 
You may find that your loves are distorted. The love, you may find that you love yourself more than others or that you love yourself more than God. And you may find that you love your comfort more than the well-being of the people around you. When all this is revealed in you, then you've diagnosed the source of your anger and now you can begin the process of healing. So what do we do with our anger? How, what do we do with our anger? In order to begin the path of healing our anger, we have to reflect. That's what I've been trying to show you up to this point. We reflect on why. Why am I angry? How is my anger manifesting itself? This is the hardest part because it requires you to be honest with yourself. It requires you to admit that you are indeed angry. And it requires you to diagnose the source of your angerness and your bitterness. And that can be a painful thing to do because you realize that it's not always everybody else's fault. You realize that often your anger is your own fault. But once the hard and painful work is done, you can now begin actively seeking healing for your anger. And how do you do this? You do this first by praying your anger. And to pray your anger is to trust that God is just. One of the ways we often describe anger is through metaphors. And the metaphor most often used for anger is that of steam or pressure. I'm at my boiling point, we say. All this stress has been building up. In the cartoons, how is anger communicated? Red face, steam coming out the ears. Zzzz, you know? And that is the problem with that metaphor is that it does not help us get over our anger. It, in fact, makes our anger worse because if anger is just pressure let loose, then it's uncontrollable. And if that's the case, then you, I can't be responsible for the way I act. But if you read through the Psalms, one of the things you'll find is that David, when he is angry, he rarely lets it build. He doesn't let it build and then hit a tipping point. He brings it immediately to God in prayer. And this particular Psalm, Psalm 109, is very disturbing because of the content of the prayer. David literally prays, God, kill this man and make his children suffer. And you're like, how is that in the Bible? Uh, that's actually a category of psalms called the imprecatory psalms. And many people have ever, always wondered, what do we do with these, where people are praying for God to kill their enemies? Um, but actually, if you, um, and you're like, I'm not sure how to feel about that. But if you keep in mind that David was the king of Israel, okay, which meant David had the power to execute this man and his children and his elderly mother-in-law, <laughs> David could have done all of the things he's asking God to do. All the things that David prays to God in his anger, he could have done himself, but he didn't, and he entrusted into God's hands justice. David was angry, yes, but he actually didn't sin. He wanted the man to die. David had the power to go kill the man and get away with it, but instead of doing it, David just said, God, I just really want this man to die. And so it's actually not, the, the, there is actually not a real controversy here when you see this. That you, what we are seeing is just the inner life of David's thoughts. And he, David's saying, I, I, I just, I'm so angry at this guy. And he's being honest to God with what he feels. Even though David has the power to do all the things he's asking God to do, David says, God, I'm leaving it in your hands. I'm entrusting justice to you. It's actually a picture. We, we, you know, we initially read this and we go, man, David was a hothead. But we actually find, when you think about it, he's actually very self-controlled. Part of praying your anger, whether it is anger at someone who has wronged you or whether it is anger at something trivial, is that when you take it to God, you're trusting that he is good, that he judges justly, and that he will bring justice. 
He will take up the cause of the oppressed and he will take up the cause of the broken. And when you pray your anger to God, it forces you to wait on his timing, which protects you from blowing up in the moment. And it may also reveal to you how silly the source of your anger really is. You know, if you ever, you know, one of the things we, Daniel Tiger taught my kids when they're angry, count to 10. Anybody Daniel Tiger? When you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. Parents, anybody? And that helps my kids. Why? Because sometimes they're so angry and you say, stop, let's sing Daniel Tiger, which is animated Mr. Rogers for all you people who don't know what Daniel Tiger is. Let's stop, let's sing the song. And by the time they sing the song, they realize, what was I even angry about? Prayer does this for us as well. And it did so with David. He was able to pray to God. And by the time he lets it out, he's told God the problem. He's, asked, he's entrusted the problem to God. And now he's going, you know what? It's not my problem anymore. It's God's. That doesn't mean that we don't address others when it's necessary. That's what we do. That doesn't mean that we avoid conflict. Often the reason we're angry is because we have, somebody has sinned against us. And it's not wrong to confront them in that. But confrontation should always be preceded with prayer and deference to God's justice to protect you from unleashing your anger in a way that is sinful and unhelpful. So we pray our anger, but then we confess our anger. David's psalm is actually a confession. He's confessing to God what he feels, why he feels it, and then he trusts God, not himself, to make things right, even though, again, David was powerful enough to do so. But you see, we know something today about God's justice that King David didn't know when he wrote those words. David trusted that God would ultimately make things right in his situation. Today, we know how God did this, and he did it through Jesus. Earlier, I said that anger is a characteristic of God, and some of you may have winced a little bit at the thought of that. You don't like to think of God as angry, Uh, But you cannot have a loving God unless that God is angered by the things that threaten to destroy those he loves. And for God to love us means that he must also get angry at the things that hurt us. And what threatens to hurt us? Our sin. Sin is anything that threatens to separate us from the glory of God and the presence of God. And this can be our own sin. Our sin separates us from God and that angers God. Other people's sins against us can often separate us from God. And that angers God. God is angry at sin because sin hurts us. And it separates us from his presence. And so what is the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ is God asking, how can I destroy the thing that is destroying you without destroying you? How can, the cross is God asking, how can I destroy the thing that is destroying you without destroying you? How can I destroy sin without destroying the sinner? So the cross is Jesus taking our sin upon himself, the very thing that God is angry with. Jesus goes on the cross and the father took out all of his anger toward our sin and poured it onto himself in Jesus. God's anger towards sin, he absorbed into himself. He didn't lash out at us. Three days later, when he rose from the dead, he said, your sin has been destroyed. My anger has been satisfied because Jesus took care of it on the cross. You know, sometimes we try to excuse our anger, don't we? 
around here, you often hear, I'm Italian, you know? <laughs> People say, I'm Italian, I'm Puerto Rican, you know, I'm redheaded, as if that's an excuse for, to get angry. We say, I'm only human. But when you say this, when you say, I'm only human, what you are saying is, I need the gospel. I'm only human. I can't control my anger on my own. I can't atone for my sins on my own. I'm helpless against my sin without Jesus. You see, this is what confession is. It's saying, I can't do this on my own. I have anger that is stirring up in my heart and I wanna direct it here. But God, I believe that you have directed your anger toward my sin onto yourself and I'm free from the, the wrath of your justice. And because I've been set free, now I can release my anger to you and trust that you will do with my anger what needs to be done. And I don't have to hold on to it any longer. And when you've diagnosed your anger and when you've prayed your anger, you must then finally turn it over to Jesus. You're helpless without him to overcome it. You're only human. And you can trust that he is always faithful to forgive you of your anger. You can trust that his spirit is powerful enough to help you heal from your anger. And any righteous anger that you feel, you know that he is with you. And you can entrust that he will do what is right if you give him what it is that is making you angry. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus, who was angry but did not sin. He was angry at the sin that was defeating us, the angry at the sin that was eating away at our lives. But he did not sin himself, but rather he took sin upon himself and died for us so that our anger could be forgiven, so that our anger could be transformed, and so that we can be peaceful people filled with your spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is not anger, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. And so God, we ask you to give um, your spirit to us so that we don't walk in anger, but that we walk in love. And God, for the things that make us angry that ought to make us angry, things like injustice, things like racism and school shootings and senseless deaths, God, we entrust to you justice. We trust that you will punish evildoers, and that you will lift up the oppressed. And so the things that make us angry, God, we hand them to you and we trust that you will do what is right. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.